Last Sunday, after church, um, Jenny and I joined uh, Marcy and Andy and the boys, and we took a five-hour drive north up into Michigan. Uh, we spent 14 hours in the area of Empire, Michigan, there by um, Sleeping Bear Dunes. We really enjoy that area. It's, it's, uh, if you've not been there, uh, you ought to go sometime. It's, it's really nice. It's, it's very enjoyable. And then after those 14 hours, we drove five hours back home. Now, during that 14 hours, of course, was, you know, we slept, <laughs> too. So um, what we did, we were lured up there by the news reports we had seen uh, telling us that the northern lights would be visible in Michigan over the weekend. Things didn't turn out quite like the news report said. I think it was a false story submitted by the Bureau of Tourism in Michigan to lure more people up there for the weekend. Because as we got up there and Marcy and Andy got these little tracker things on their phone and they kept showing us the blue dot, that's where we are. This other swirl up here, that's where the northern lights are. And it seems we were eh, about 800 miles short of... Of being able to get up there to see the northern lights, you know, uh, maybe someday. That's one of the things I'd really like to see. I'm not crazy about. I, I don't want to fly to, to to you know Slovakia or not Slovakia, you know, any of these Scandinavian countries or any of that stuff. I did, you know, I'd prefer not to get on a plane. I might drive up to Alaska sometime. <laughs> yeah, that ain't gonna happen, uh, you know. But uh, anyway, it, it maybe one of these days. While we were up there in um, Empire, one of the things we like about it, there is a very nice beach on Lake Michigan, and it's set up um, on one side is Lake Michigan and the beach, then there's a road. On the other side is another beach and a smaller lake. So if the, thank you, if, if uh, Lake Michigan is too cold, like always, um, you can go across the road to the smaller lake, which is which is warmer. Well, when we got there, um, the wind was blowing off of Lake Michigan, and um, but that's where we chose to stay. The boys went in the water anyway. A few, uh, well, more than a few people did, uh, you know. And Ginny uh, and I took a short walk down the beach. Uh, we had been up there several years ago, and you know, we were just kind of looking. I said, I, I, I kind of remember there were some places for rent down here, and we walked down there, and then there was a little creek or something that came out from this other lake and was flowing into Lake Michigan, and uh, so we walked there, and then we walked back, and uh, Jenny and was standing talking with Marcy. Andy had taken the boys, uh, the two older boys anyway, up by a playground that's there, and uh, so I was standing there looking, and you know, here's Ryan is playing in the in the water still, and Jenny and Marcy were talking, and there's Andy over there, and, and the boys on the playground, and there was a bench, an empty bench, calling my name, and so I waddled over and sat down on this bench, and uh, just uh, you know, I got an opportunity, uh, you know, to observe. Uh, what? Uh, I love watching people. You need to understand that. Um, one of the things, one of the nice features about this beach too is there's plenty of sand for them to track back into the, you know, into the cars and, and the cabin. You know, there's, there's plenty of sand for the kids to be able to do that. But there's also this line of rocks. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, 
it's a kind of a big, there's rocks there all the way from a softball size all the way down to small pebbles. The small pebbles I can understand being washed up, but some of these bigger ones I'm thinking, how, how windy and wavy does it have to get to be able to toss all these rocks up there? So, but there's this, this, this line of rocks, and they're worn smooth, you know, from being beaten by the waves and stuff. And I'm sitting there watching and there's people throwing some rocks out into the water. I'm assuming trying to miss the people that are playing in the water still, you know, and, and some of them were trying to, trying to skip stones and, um, you know, but I, I'm, I'm watching this, uh, now if you really wanted to stone somebody, if you wanted to hit somebody with stone, there were plenty of stones there, you know, I, uh, there were, there were plenty of them there to be able to do that. And while I'm sitting on this bench and observing all the people who came out to enjoy the beach and we were out there, it was getting to be near sunset. More people were coming, you know, usually people go home, but you're on the, you're on the, um, eastern side of the lake and the sun setting in the west. And I assume all these folks were coming out to watch the sunset on the lake. And I, I just enjoyed watching them. There was a couple with uh, their son who, I, you know, I didn't talk to them, but it seemed to me he was autistic and nonverbal. Um, he seemed to be about, I don't know, maybe 12 years old or so. And, um, he could, you know, he waved his arms and, and made noises. He was really excited to be there. And I was really impressed with, uh, the love and care, uh, that they showed this kid. It was neat to behold. Uh, you know, they just, uh, he'd go by, run by the water and then, um, they'd go with him and they'd talk and then he'd run back and then he found a basketball and wanted to play basketball. Um, and just kind of really grunted and, and waved his arms and stuff, and they knew what he wanted, and I just thought, what? You know, the patience they had with him, and I just thought, God gave that kid uh, to the right parents, you know, as I was watching that. Then there's this family right behind me on the bench, a, a mother, father, and two little kids. Okay, I didn't ask him. It was a male and a female and two kids. I assume it was the mother and father. Uh, and they were, they were building a fire in one of those grills, you know, that they have out at, at like the beach and picnic grounds and stuff that it's kind of heavy duty, you know, cause nobody's gonna take it and put it in there. Well, some people probably would, but what would you do with it? Uh, you know, big heavy duty thing. And they're building a fire in there with, um, wood, not with charcoal, but with wood. And, and, and there was plenty of wind for him to do that. Um, I did notice they were picking, when I first went over there, they were picking up, um, you know, smaller stuff, uh, on the beach. And then when they lit it, all four of them, they stood together like this, kind of blocking the wind a little bit until it got rolling. And they were there and they were doing s'mores. You know, they had enough that mar- flat, big flat marshmallows. They were, they were toasting and everything. And, um, I'm not a s'mores fan. I know some of you guys are, but, sticky food and stuff that's sticky and sticks to your teeth and makes a mess. I'm just not into that, uh, you know, so, uh, but I was watching them and they're in their own little world, you know, in this sea of people in this whole crowd of people. And again, I just thought, what a, just what a cool thing. What a cool thing for this family to be able, you know, to be able to go out there and do that. And then there was four couples over to the side a little bit, uh, that it seemed to me, uh, I'm, I'm guessing they were in there, in their 30s, maybe around 30, and um, 
that they, it seemed they had gotten together, that they didn't see each other as often, and it was maybe some kind of a reunion there or something. They were playing some game where they're bouncing this ball off the center. They were laughing and just having a good time together, you know. And, and it was great. I really enjoyed watching all that. And then being the kind, uh, the kind soul that I am, I I, I threw a few stones at people um, while I was sitting there on the bench. Uh, watching them, you know, there I threw a few stones at the group sitting at the picnic table off to my right who were um, drinking more beers in the time that I saw them than most people drink probably in a week. Uh, and, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that they were obviously inebriated because why would you be out there in shorts and a T-shirt? It was not warm, you know. And, uh, you know, so I, I tossed a few th- stones at a group of teenage boys and girls that I saw go by with blankets, and uh, I signed to them the, uh, you know, the, the own my own thoughts from when I was a teenager, and uh, knew that you know they were probably looking for some privacy on this very crowded beach to watch the sunset together with, and uh, I knew they would be up to no good. Uh, and then I quickly whipped a couple of stones at some people who uh, then blocked my view of my wife and daughter and grandson over there while they were enjoying the beach, you know, and uh, I had to keep leaning one way and the other, you know, and they were kind of annoying me. And then I had uh, one or two stones toward a group who were obviously born in another country, wore funny clothes, and didn't speak the language of my native land that I was enjoying. Um, I also threw stones at people while we drove the 10 hours to and from the cabin. Um, it was just very easy for me to do that. I aimed a couple at the person who thought that it was a good idea to drive the speed limit when I wanted to go faster than the speed limit. Um, I also had a few stones for the guy who wouldn't let me merge into the faster lane while we were on the interstate. And I was chucking handfuls of stone at the guy who decided that he was going to pull his 30-foot trailer with his diesel truck up and down the hills on a two-lane road and hold 10 of us hostage for 25 miles behind him. I think you realize I'm not talking about literal stones at this point. And I think you realize I also didn't have to pick any of them up from the beach because I always seem to have plenty of them with me. So do you. So do you. We carry too many of these things with us, you know, that we begin then to hurl at people, uh, maybe only mentally sometimes, but sometimes even verbally, and we begin to hurl at people, uh, you know, and really we should be dropping the stones. Let's pray. I'm going to share with you how God kind of unfolded all this for me. Father, thank you for your patience with me. I was reminded of that again last weekend. I was reminded of your grace to me, a sinner. I pray that you will continue to open all of our eyes to you, that we would understand a little bit more the fullness of your grace and mercy at work in our lives, and also that need for it. Use your word, use what you have had recorded for us to teach us and once again shine a light into our lives to see you 
and your call to us a little bit better, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Turn to John chapter 8 with me, if you will. And I'll just share with you how God was shining a light into my life once again. And uh, perhaps it will, uh, he will use that uh, in your life as well. It's on page 985 in the Pew Bible. Now, if you're there, some of you have a notation in your Bible. You might see these verses in brackets or something. And it will tell you that these verses are not found in some of the oldest manuscripts and what are considered some of the most reliable manuscripts. That goes together, old and and uh, and um, uh, what they consider the best. Uh, most scholars do believe this is an actual event from the life of Jesus. Some feel that it was uh, possibly part of another, one of the other Gospels and somehow uh, found its way into John's Gospel here. Other other scholars, others who know a lot more than me about this, feel that it was possibly part of the oral tradition that was passed on to a, a largely illiterate society. If you remember, they didn't, they couldn't go and get the Bible off their shelf like we can. They were an illiterate society for the most part, and they they passed these things on verbally. They will tell their children, who would tell their children, and just like they're told to back in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, some feel that's where it came from and that it was later added to John's gospel by a well-meaning scribe as he copied some of this. Now, nothing that happens here is out of character for Jesus at all. This portion, this portion of scripture was accepted by the early church, and I, I believe there's much that we can learn from this incident. I'm going to start in verse 2, follow along. And then keep your Bible open, too, because as we flip through it, I'll drag us back to uh, some of the verses. Verse 2, at dawn, he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to make several observations as we move toward the area where God was really shining his light into my life. Um, Jesus here is teaching in a temple complex. That is not at all unusual. He would teach in a temple complex often. Jesus was Jewish. The Jews went to the temple, and the temple was a place where they learned. This oral tradition that I was referring to earlier, a lot of that took place in the temple because they were a largely illiterate society. They could go to the temple and they could hear the word of God either from one who memorized it or one who could read and had a, a scroll. Those things didn't always go together. The temple had some of the scrolls. If you recall, Jesus was handed a scroll at one point, and 
asked to read. Uh, they had those there. Uh, so Jesus being in the temple was not at all unusual as it wasn't for many of the Jews. He would be there again with many of the Jews. And the Jews were waiting. They were expecting the Messiah. They were expecting the Christ to come. Uh, so it was natural then that Christ Jesus would be in the temple so that others could recognize him and others could come to know him. The Old Testament pointed to him. That was their Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. So in the temple, they would be speaking from and about the Old Testament. And the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. He was regularly fulfilling some of the Old Testament prophecies right before their eyes. If you recall, when John was arrested and John the Baptist, John the Baptist was put in prison. And he was wondering, he, you know, if, what, before he was arrested, before John was arrested, he baptized Jesus. He said, hey, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, And some of John's disciples then left and went to follow Jesus. Well, then John was later arrested, and John's in prison, and then he's beginning to wonder, hmm, maybe, maybe I had this wrong. And he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus. And they told him, John's really wondering if you are the guy or not, if you are the Messiah or not. And Jesus said, what do you see? The blind receive their sight. The deaf receive their hearing. The dead are brought back to life. These are the prophecies that spoke about what the Messiah would do. So here Jesus is living them out before them. Now as he is teaching in the temple there, it says that some of the scribes and the Pharisees interrupt him by bringing a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Okay, this is a little awkward in more ways than one. She was caught in the very act of adultery. It wasn't that they heard, it was that they had seen this. Now, some speculate, and, you know, they put in all sorts of things about, you know, well, they set up a, you know, that they, they had this woman, you know, and she was trapped. That doesn't give us any indication of those things. All it gives us is the words here that she was caught in the very act of adultery, and they dragged this woman in, and brought her into where was Jesus teaching? The temple. And drag her and bring her into the midst of them. Now, just an observation. Here's an observation for you. Don't ever humiliate someone just to make a point. Don't ever do that. You know, simply to make yourself seem superior or simply to drag someone else down. Don't ever humiliate someone just to do that. I never see Jesus doing that. I never see him intentionally humiliating someone for himself. I never see him doing that, you know, just to make a point. I see him talking and conversing with people and challenging their, their views so that they might come to know who he is. The instructions we find in Matthew 18 about confronting a brother in sin are laid out there for us, and they're laid out there really to keep exposure to a minimum, not a maximum. In Matthew 18, it says, you know, that if you, if a, you know, brother sins and you know, sins against you, and it says, go to him yourself. Go to him. Go to him and talk. I've had people come to me and 
with some problems and, and struggles with somebody sometime. And, you know, I'm their pastor, and, you know, it's a natural thing to do, you know, and they're looking for advice and um, sometimes maybe hoping that I would intervene. But, you know, as they talk to me, and one of the things I tell them, uh, you need to go and talk to them. And more than once I've had someone say to me, I knew you were going to say that. But you see, that's good because you see, they they are they already knew, and that's that's the that's what God tells us, you know, in in Matthew eighteen when He talks about that. You go alone. Now it says only if you're unsuccessful, then you go and you bring another brother with you. You see, and just the two of you go, just the two of you go and talk to them. And if it's settled, that's a good thing. But if only if it's not settled. Only if it's not settled, it says, you know, then you involve the church leaders. And again, if it's settled, then we're done. If not, it says, then you bring it to the church. What did they do? They jumped right to the let's drag this lady before everybody stage. They skipped over all of these other things. You see, the goal is restoration of a sinner not to be proven right. We humiliate someone when we want to be proven right. The goal is not to let everyone know what a sinner the other person is. That's not the purpose of why we should be involving it. We need to drop the stones. We need to drop the stones instead of throwing them. Paul wrote to the Galatians to restore a sinning brother gently, exercising caution that we don't get caught in sin as well. Look at what it says. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person. Should what? Restore such a person. There's the goal. Restore that person to God. Restore them with a gentle spirit. Watching out for yourselves that you also won't be tempted. Now, it could be that you could be, you know, you, you don't want to be tempted by the same sin as them, certainly, but I think partially what we're seeing here, too, is that you don't get caught up in the sin of casting stones. Rather than coming to Jesus to get our own attitude straightened out, be careful, brothers. He says, be careful, use caution, watch out for yourselves so you won't also be tempted. The scribes and the Pharisees made a public display of this woman, not because, not because they were so outraged at her behavior. They brought him there because they were outraged at Jesus. And they wanted to discredit Jesus. Look at verse 6. It tells us they did this only to trap Jesus. That was their goal, only to trap him. You see, if what, if what he did was condemn this woman, if he just condemned this woman, you sinner, take her out and stone her, then they could accuse him of being unloving and unmerciful. The, the things that he talked about, the things that he, that he was sharing about, about needing to love one another, about having that love for one another, about loving even your enemies. The thing about being mercy, to show mercy as you've been shown mercy, and all of those would be just wiped out by this, by this condemnation of this woman and taking her and stoning her. You see, but if he did exercise love and mercy then and, and, and said, don't worry about it, you know, then they could accuse him of ignoring the law. Because what did they say? It says in the law. 
that were to stone this woman. What do you say? The law says, what do you say? You see, and if he, that would be a very serious charge for him. How could the Messiah ever ignore the law? How could the Messiah, how could the Messiah not care about what God had to say? They were conveniently ignoring part of the law themselves, which says that they're to bring the man as well as the woman. You see, but they didn't really care about restoration. That wasn't their goal at all here. It was just to trap Jesus, so they ignored part of the law themselves. They should have been, they should have been coming to Jesus to get direction, not to give direction. That's another observation for us. You know, this, that, that when we need to bring things to Jesus to get direction, not to give direction. God, I think this is how you should handle this situation. Now, we wouldn't use those words, but isn't that how we pray sometimes? Lord, this is what we need done. We need to go, we need to go to Him to get direction. Not give direction. Now, certainly, you bring your request to God. We're, we're told that. He, he's very clear about that. In Philippians, he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known. Bring those things to God. Pray, he says. This is a good... You need to pray. We need to pray. You do need to bring your request to God. In John chapter 14, he says, Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples again. He says, if you ask me anything, anything, ask me, you know, I, I'll do it. Ask you anything. Now, this isn't say, this isn't carte blanche, you know, Lord, I need a million bucks. No, you don't. You need, you need a better attitude is what you need. You know, he, he tells us elsewhere, you know, you, you see the other parameters on these things elsewhere. If you ask anything according to his will, A little bit later in John 16, he says, I assure you, anything you ask the Father in my name, uh, he will give you. You know, those that, that being able to pray, being able to bring it to God. You know, we need to go there. We, we're looking to get direction from God, not to give direction. But also, I think, you know, one of the requests should be in line with other parts of Scripture and as to create a clean heart in yourself. A heart that seeks after God. Psalm 51, a psalm that is uh, uh, attributed (coughs) as um, (coughs) David's confession to God, uh, coming to God for reconciliation after his sin with Bathsheba. You know, and part of what he says in there is, turn your face away from my sin, blot out all my guilt. Create in me a clean heart. Create a you start quoting from a different translation. Uh, create a clean heart for me and renew that steadfast spirit within me. God, change me. Change me. I, I need this change. <coughs> what we're told here in John 8, then it says Jesus bends down and begins writing. He begins writing with his finger. I found it interesting here. He doesn't point a finger at the woman he doesn't point a finger at her accusers. Instead, he points to the dirt. And he begins to write. We're not told what he wrote in the dirt. And again, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of things. But here's one thing I know for sure. A God didn't think it was important for us to know what he was writing. 
Because if God thought it was important for us to know what he was writing, God would have told us what he wrote in the dirt. You know, and as I look at this, you know, that they were quite certain that they were different from this woman. This woman was a sinner, and they were quite certain that they were very different. Jesus speaks to them and points to the dirt. Maybe he was just trying to draw attention to the dirt. Maybe what he was doing was reminding them that they all, we, we all have the same makeup and our, all, our bodies are all heading to the same end. The, the scribes and the Pharisees, who are the ones who came, the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones who brought the accusation. The scribes and the Pharisees would be the ones who should be very familiar with the Old Testament. And in Ecclesiastes, it says, all are going to the same place. All come from dust and return to dust. I just find that interesting as Jesus is writing something in the dust. Now, there's no question that she has broken the law. There was no dispute about that. Jesus didn't, Jesus never said she didn't break the law. Jesus never said what she did was okay. He never said that at all. You don't pretend that sin is okay simply because it's common, simply because it might be acceptable by many, or simply because it's uncomfortable to confront it. You don't pretend like sin is okay. You don't do that. The scribes and the Pharisees here, they should have been focused on this woman's restoration rather than her condemnation. Something we need to grasp a hold of. We should look to restore rather than condemn. Drop the stones. Drop those stones. Jesus gives this woman and each of her accusers, did you notice here? He gives them an opportunity to repent. He gives each one of them an opportunity to choose better. To drop the stones and to follow him. Jesus challenges them to think not about the woman and her sin, but about themselves and their sin. Look at verse 7. When they persisted in questioning him, when they continued to push it, when they continued to use this woman and humiliate this woman as the example, not to, not to restore her, but to bring Jesus down in their minds, when they persisted in questioning him, it says, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. What he's doing here is he is giving them, he is giving them that opportunity themselves to repent and he is drawing their attention off of this woman and onto themselves. Look at yourself, he's saying. It's pretty easy to see sin in others and overlook that sin in ourselves. It's very easy for me to get irritated you know, with other people and overlook the things. Not one of her accusers, not one of them could claim to be sinless. Jesus was the only one there who was sinless and who could meet that qualification and could be the one to throw the first stone, and he chose not to do that. Notice, though, he does not ignore her sin. 
He does not pretend like the sin is okay. He addresses that sin and he encourages this woman to move forward. He doesn't condemn her, but he encourages her to leave that sin and move on. Look at verse 10. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. But he goes on, Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. When you, when you see someone, let me encourage you, be like Jesus. That's a good thing. He addresses her sin and he addresses, and he gives her this opportunity to change. He gives her this opportunity to repent. He gives her an opportunity to change and change, turn and go a new way. Look to heal rather than condemn. Condemning is easy. Healing is sometimes hard. And maybe that's why we sometimes want to overlook it. We like to use it as an excuse, really. We just want to be right. But look to heal rather than condemn. Lift up people rather than putting them down. Lift them up. Jesus lifted this woman up and said, Stop living this way. Go, go, stop sinning. This isn't the only person he told that to stop sinning. He says, he says, you know, stop. He's lifting her up. Care rather than criticize. I'm simply sharing with you things God was saying to me about my attitude. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. That is a point of new beginning for this woman. It is a t- It is a point in time that she can point to and say, right here is where I turned and changed my life. Right here is where Jesus came and said to me, do it a different way. Live life a different way. When we encounter Jesus, every time we encounter Jesus, we are at a point of new beginning. We are at a point where we can, uh, where our life can be changed. This lady's sin was obvious. But the sin of the scribes and Pharisees was also obvious. It was just considered more acceptable. See, it was more acceptable to, to rail against someone else in their sin. They were condemning a woman caught in the very act of adultery. They were condemning her, not restoring her. The scribes and the Pharisees were not restoring her. They didn't seem to care at all about the condition of this woman's soul. You need to understand there is no such thing as acceptable sin. We as a society have gotten to the place where we don't believe this. But there is no such thing as acceptable sin. It's not that, well, you know, theirs is bad, but mine's okay. Let me remind you again, there is no such thing as a little white lie. If you're going to color them 
and you look at white is good and black is bad, they are all black. They are all evil. They are all sin. Condemning, uh, condemning others is, is much easier for us than it should be. It's, 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 it's much easier for us than it should be. You know, condemning others just like they did here. You may not like their actions or their choices, and I certainly hope that you don't approve of sin. I certainly hope that you don't think that sin doesn't matter. It does. Sin does matter. And I'm not saying at all here that we ignore sin. What I'm saying is because it matters that we need to help people find new life in Christ. Not condemn them. Not write them off. We need to help them find new life. We need to help them get to that point where they can go and from now on sin no more. To make that their goal. To make that life change their goal. There are plenty of sins we can pick up stones against. What's the sin in your life that the scribes and Pharisees could haul you before Jesus for? What would they be laying their hands on you about and dragging you before Jesus and say, look at this guy. Look at the sin. We caught him in the very act of this sin. Drop the stones. I was reminded while I sat on that beach in Michigan and as I drove home from Michigan that I need to drop the stones. And the funny thing is, while I was working on this sermon, I kind of in the middle of this sermon, I had to go pick up Aniston from school. And I left and I went to pick up Aniston. I'm driving down Bass Road. Now you need to understand, I have a time. I know how long it takes me to get from my house to Aniston School. I do not want my granddaughter standing there and no one showing up to pick her up. This guy in front of me didn't understand that. He did not understand how I had this timing worked out and he was in my way. And I found myself getting a little annoyed. And I'm the only one in the car, but you better believe I was reaching in my pocket for those stones. And I glanced down at my speedometer, and he was going the speed limit. God told me not only to drop the stones, he said, empty your pockets. Quit carrying that stuff around with you. Get rid of these things. You know, get get rid of them. Get those out of your life. This passage in John, we're not told what choice the lady made. So it seems to me that the point of this 
incident here being recorded in scripture was not at all about the lady but about ourselves we're not told what choice she made what is that sin that has a grip on your life right now what is that sin that keeps coming up there this is the time to repent this is the time to leave it behind and accept jesus offer of a new beginning drop the stones and follow jesus